Welcome to episode 91 of the Jackson Hole Connection, brought to you by Jackson Hole Marketplace. Jackson Hole's little community market on the south side of town. Please visit the jacksonholeconnection.com slash jhm to learn more. Hello from Jackson Hole. I'm Stephan Abrams, your host and guide today. Each week I sit with someone connected to Jackson Hole to share their fascinating story about daily life. I feel we can all learn so much from each other, and I tend to search out people and their stories, which will teach us all a little about life outside of our everyday circle. My guest today is Sam Singer, the founder and executive director of Wyoming Stargazing. Sam first fell in love with Wyoming and Jackson Hole in 2005 when he came out for Teton Science School's graduate program. Combining Sam's passion for the outdoors and the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, Sam realized Jackson Hole is the place for Sam. Sam sees the outdoors as being a place of refuge and solace. And we discuss today how the outdoors can provide everyone opportunities to decompress and reset each day. Sam's passion for the outdoors, the stars, and practicing mindfulness leads his actions every day. Sam will share with us today how each of us may take steps to enjoy the outdoors and practice mindfulness. Sam, super good to see you today here on the Jackson Hole Connection, although it is virtual. Always enjoy seeing a smiling face and you joining the Zoom. That's the first thing that I noticed was the big <laughs> smile. So, so thank you. I appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure, Stefan. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Let's start off with what is your connection to Jackson Hole? Great question. Well, I first came out here in 2005 to do the graduate program at the Teton Science Schools, which was an absolutely amazing program and amazing year for me. And by the end of that year, I had fallen in love with this valley and with this community. Uh, so I knew I was coming back. Uh, I went to Laramie to finish up my master's and traveled for a year. And then I got a job offer to come back and join the graduate program faculty at the science schools. And I'm still here. That's superb. Now you have a doctorate. At what point did you, did you leave town at some point to obtain that? I did. Yeah. I, uh, I went back down to Laramie University mm -hmm. of Wyoming to do my doctorate in uh, 2010. Okay. Spent three years there and then promptly moved right back. <laughs> so, I'm, so I'm now about 15 years in Wyoming and about uh, 10 of those are here in Jackson. Cool. Where are you originally from, Sam? I was born in Redwood City, California, uh -huh. but I was only there until I was about 10 years old. Home uh, really feels like the, the desert of Northern Nevada, this right. little town called Yarrington, which is where I spent all my informative teenager years. Cool. I was born in California. Los Angeles. Nice. Lived there for a whole nine months. <laughs> and my parents took me to Mississippi. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yes. Can't you tell from my accent? <laughs> you seem to have lost it. <laughs> so you've been here since 2005. You attended the science school graduate program. You went and got a doctorate. Your doctorate is in what degree again? It's in education. Okay. Yeah, and I focused in outdoor uh, environmental education for adults. All right. I think a lot of adults can use some education about outdoor environment. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. 
So I, I was actually looking at the spiritual side of it. Uh, I was curious how outdoor experiences might have influence on individuals' um, spirituality. What have you found? Uh, well, during my doctorate, I, I looked at a small program that you might be familiar with. Uh, it was created by Rabbi Mike Cummins, who used to live here in the Valley. It's called Torah Trek. Our mutual friend, Josh Clayman, did the program as well. And uh, it's all about connecting people to their, their Judaism in the outdoors. And so it involved these um, outdoor um, residential retreats, solo practice in the backcountry, and chanting, meditation, qigong, and a whole lot more. So it was a pretty amazing experience. And what I found from the participants in that program who I was um, studying, and also being a participant myself, was that um, how that experience impacted their spirituality, spirituality was largely due to their prior experiences. People who were really comfortable with the outdoors were able to integrate the experiences during Torah Trek into their experiences more readily than people who didn't have experiences in the outdoors prior to that program. Cool. Yeah, and it was a lot of fun. I bet it was, um, and I believe Mike still does the Torah Trek program as well. You know, I know he's doing similar things, but I, I don't think Torah Trek uh, is happening anymore, unfortunately. Oh, bummer. Okay. Yeah. And so now we're in 2020, <laughs> and you in the past have started a nonprofit organization here in the Valley called Wyoming Stargazing. That's right. And tell me how you go from a PhD in adult outdoor education to starting a nonprofit about stargazing. Great question. So the outdoors has always been one of my great passions. And that's what got me into education in the first place. I studied education in college, um, astronomy as well in college. And then um, after I graduated, um, I knew I wanted to pursue both of those two things somehow. I didn't quite know how it was going to fit together yet. Uh, so I worked at an outdoor education organization on the East Coast called Nature's Classroom. And that was really my first big stint professionally in outdoor education and really loved it. And it was from, um, from there that I found the Teton Science Schools and came out here. Um, but astronomy has been the, the area of um, outdoor education, I would call it, um, science, that's, that's always been the nearest and dearest to my heart ever since I was a little kid. Uh, I remember looking up at the stars with my dad and just being mesmerized by it. And so I got really lucky and took an astronomy class in high school that had a huge impact on me and studied at college. And so when I came out here, in 2005, uh, the night sky just totally blew me away. And I started doing astronomy programs while I was a student at the Teton Science Schools for all the, the visiting students who came every week. And um, that was really when I first hatched the idea of wanting to create a public observatory and planetarium somewhere here in the valley. And that project was kind of always on my back burner as I finished up with my master's and then traveled for a bit and um, joined the faculty at the science schools and then went and got a PhD. Um, but my love for astronomy never waned during that time. And so uh, when I finally had finished up my PhD, uh, I did some soul searching and 
one of my mentors sat me down one night and said, okay, you've got a doctorate. What are you going to do with it? And I said, no, what I'd really love to do is move back to Jackson and teach people about the night sky. And she said, great, start a nonprofit and go do it. So that's how Wyoming stargazing began. That was seven years ago. And it was a volunteer gig um, for the first few years. But, um, but now it's my full-time job and has been for about four years. And I love it. That's beautiful. You followed your passion. I, I, I really value that and respect that. I'm, I'm curious about learning more about what does Wyoming stargazing do? Thanks for asking. Yeah. So our flagship programs are the stargazing programs that we offer, both free to the public on a more or less weekly basis throughout the year on clear Friday nights, and then private stargazing programs, uh, mostly for uh, tourists who come and visit the valley. Uh, so those were the original programs. We've now expanded our program offerings quite a bit. Uh, we do a lot of programs in the public schools during the day, um, both in the classroom and inside our inflatable planetarium, which is a whole lot of fun. We do solar astronomy programs in the summertime, uh, places like the People's Market and the Art Fair. And then we also do other uh, indoor astronomy presentations like the Science Speaker Series, uh, which is uh, now in its third year. And uh, a lot has changed in the past couple months with the, the COVID-19 situation. We've converted a lot of our programs to virtual programs, um, which has been a ton of fun. The speaker series was easy to convert because those are just presentations. And um, you know, the other stuff that we do is a little bit trickier, but we are doing virtual stargazing programs on clear Friday nights using one of the observatories owned um, by one of our board members who lives out on Fall Creek Road. He's been kind enough to um, connect with us over the internet and shares real-time images that he's taking with his telescope and camera equipment. Um, so viewers can, can log into a Zoom meeting and see those pictures being taken in real time. Um, so that's been a ton of fun. And then I've also started some, um, some bi-weekly programming that I'm offering on Zoom. Uh, I'm doing a series called Mind-Bending Astronomy, uh, in which I give a three or four minute snippet on some interesting astronomy topic and provide additional resources for people to learn more about it. Uh, I've got another one called Ask Dr. Sam, uh, where folks can just join the Zoom meeting and ask any questions they want about astronomy. And then uh, the newest offering is called Sci-Fi Explained. I'm taking a, a sci-fi movie every other week. Um, something fairly new. We've, we've done Interstellar and uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp um, and Contact, slightly over, older film. Um, but I'm dissecting it for um, what's true to science and where it enters the realm of science fiction and, and all the places in between. So that's been a lot of fun as well. Cool. Way to go uh, as far as being nimble and making some adjustments there. Yeah, thank you. It's, it's actually been a lot of fun. I, I've really enjoyed doing all the virtual programming. Nice. I, I'm curious to get your perspective about what you think most adults feel the outdoors is. Hmm. And because I think everybody probably, I'm going to guess that everybody has a different interpretation of it. And then I'm also curious to know, what are your top two places on the planet to, to watch the stars? Oh, great questions. So the first question, um, what does the outdoors mean to, 
different folks. I think you're right that it's, it's diverse. Um, for me, it's, it's always been a place of refuge and solace. Um, it's a place where I go for my spiritual connection with the universe during the day and during the night. And it's also, you know, where I get most of my exercise. Um, I've never been one to, to do that in gyms. I prefer going on trail runs and backpacking and hiking and skiing. So that's what it is for me. And I, I think a lot of people would resonate with all of that. And, you know, I, I think there are probably, you know, dozens of other reasons why people love the outdoors. But I think it's something that, that goes deep um, with our humanity. Now, you know, it's, it's, um, it's really where we evolved for a long, long time. And I think it has incredible health benefits, you know, that have been shown through research in terms of reducing stress and, you know, finding the type of opportunities to, um, to relax, find solace, like I was talking about before. Now, in the term of outdoors, it doesn't necessarily have to be in a wooded area or a national park or official forest. If people are in the city, what can the outdoors be for them? Absolutely. You know, I think any green space, even if it's just your lawn in your backyard or the park around the corner, can offer those, you know, opportunities um, to decompress. I've found that especially important over the past couple months as I've spent more and more time during the day in front of my screen. Uh, so even though I've really been enjoying all the virtual programming that I've been doing for Wyoming Stargazing, um, as well as for the meditation community, which we can chat about later, it's been really important for me to just get outside um, several times a day, um, take my dog for a walk, take a couple deep breaths um, in the air outside. And um, I found that, you know, that even if it's just for five minutes, I feel refreshed um, when I come back inside. So yeah, you don't have to go far. It's, it's just been, you know, walking on the cement sidewalk around the block where I live. That's been enough to, to rejuvenate me in just a few minutes. I feel the same way. And, and I, I like what you said that it's just going outside for a few minutes, several times a day can make such a difference in the world and just walk around the block. Yeah. There's, there's so much you can absorb from that. Yeah. You know, and having a, you know, a furry friend like a dog makes it easy because, um, you know, they get a lot of benefit from those little breaks outside as well. And it's good for him to poop outside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Versus inside. Don't forget the doggy bag. Yeah. The poop bag. That's right. Um, Sam, we're going to take a quick break from one of our sponsors and we'll be right back. And we're going to learn more about your top two places to view stars. Sounds great. Jackson Hole Marketplace has what you're looking for easy and convenient stop on the south side of Jackson, conveniently located four miles south of town. Right off the bike path, Jackson Hole Marketplace is an easy stop for commuters, hikers, bikers, and rafters. Be sure to stop in during the week to indulge in one of our new badass sandwiches. We build our sandwiches using 460 bread, meat from Cy Ginsburg Deli, and Boar's Head Meats. Visit the jacksonholeconnection.com slash JHM to learn a whole lot more. Sam, welcome back to the Jackson Hole Connection. And we just learned about what the outdoors can be and how it can be something to different people, to everyone. Um, so now I want to learn from you 
what are the top two places on this planet that you like to watch the stars from? Well, I'm not just saying this because I love Jackson, but it, it really is here. Being out in Grand Teton National Park, especially out Antelope Flats, looking west as the sky gets dark with the silhouette of the Tetons, I think has got to be one of the coolest places on earth to look at the night sky. It's really dark out there, a lot darker than in downtown Jackson, which I'm working on. But, <laughs> but yeah, being out there in, in Antelope Flats at night is, um, it's a really special place for me. You know, I, I do it for work mostly now, but I don't get tired of it at all. Um, every night I go out there, it's exciting for me. And um, you know, there are moments when we're all just staring up at the night sky quietly, quietly and, um, yeah, it's, it's a magical experience that I, that I hope everybody can have. Uh, so that's my number one place. Um, number two place is um, the bottom of the Grand Canyon. I've done a lot of backpacking down there, and uh, it's pretty amazing to see the stars um, cross between the canyon walls um, when you're down there in the inner gorge or off in some of the side canyons. Yeah, and that's just another one of those life-changing experiences that, um, that I hope to have again soon. That's awesome. I agree with you about out there in Antelope Flats, or even if you're out in the Grovants, and then you're looking westward and you see the, the Tetons, that it's, it's tough to compete against that. Um, yeah. I've had two other star experiences that I feel have blown my, my mind. One of them was last year we went camping at bear lake over outside in in utah and i had to wake up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and it was probably about three o'clock in the morning when i woke up and i went outside of the camper and i looked up and i about fell over (laughs) it was unbelievable there was no light pollution out there the skies were perfectly clear and I almost felt as though being right there next to the lake and hearing the waves crash, I could f- see and feel the curvature of the earth. Hmm. Wow. It nice. was that magnificent and open. Hmm. That, that had to have been one of my top ones. The other one was a bunch of years ago, I was in South Africa. Hmm and was on a backpacking trip with some friends. And one night we were out in the middle of nowhere in Southern, the Western Cape area, and just looking up and being able to see the stars. And again, no light pollution whatsoever. And you see a completely different aspect of the stars there than you do here in the US. That's right. And that was a lot of fun to see a different, I'm sorry, I'm not a stargazer and couldn't tell you one galaxy from the other or, or group of stars from the other. So sorry for my lack of knowledge there, but just being able to see different things in the sky, in the night sky was such a treat. Yeah. I've, I've also had the experience of being in the Southern hemisphere and doing some stargazing and, and you're right. It is totally different. Um, just as magical, just as beautiful, but yeah, a different set of uh, constellations and, and deep space objects that you can see down there. Mm-hmm. How many people here in Jackson have what you call an observatory? There are quite a few. There are two on our board of directors. And I'm aware of 
at least three other private observatories, and there are probably more that I don't know about. For an observatory, is it the structure with the dome that opens? Is Exactly, yeah. You, you have to have that for yeah. a private yeah, that's, observatory. Yeah, that's technically what an observatory is. There are a lot more people that have telescopes, you know, that they have in their garages, you know, um, that they wheel out. Uh-huh. And use or, or you know put in their cars and, and drive someplace dark to use but yeah i think probably you know half a dozen or so uh fixed observatory domes in the valley that's awesome yeah i i know of somebody that has one on at their house and he's offered for me to bring my boys over there for them to check it out and i can't wait oh uh, you should do it yeah i was supposed to do it this fall but it skipped us and i think now that they're a little bit older and they're able to stay up a little bit later that this fall we'll, we'll definitely do it for sure. Nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. There's something else that you've been very involved in recently. Well, for a long time, but that you've been doing a lot of and helping people with during the COVID-19 crisis. Let's get into that. What exactly, give us some more information about it. Yeah, so mindfulness has been the other big passion of mine. Uh, really just as long as astronomy has been. Uh, I first was introduced to the ideas of mindfulness in high school and started a, a regular practice when I was in college. And I've been doing it ever since. And it's been something that, um, you know, has ebbed and flowed over the years. But um, over the last several years in particular, um, I've been attending a lot of meditation retreats and just getting better and better. In, in being mindful as I've developed that skill, just like you develop any skill. And I've led a, a meditation group here in town um, for several years and um, participated in others. And over the past four years, I've been teaching mindfulness in fifth grade classrooms and the public school system, which has been amazing. No kidding. Yeah, so there's an organization in Sun Valley, Idaho called the Flourish Foundation they've created um, a really amazing mindfulness curriculum um, for all grade levels. And um, we started implementing that in fifth grade four years ago. And it's since expanded into sixth grade. And I've also started uh, a high school program using a similar curriculum, curriculum from the same organization. And so it's, uh, it's a mindfulness-based uh, emotional intelligence curriculum. So we, we really focus on skills of how to be aware of one's emotions, how to manage those, and then how to be aware of the emotions that other people are feeling and how to um, negotiate um, those relationships with other people. So yeah, I've really enjoyed doing that um, in person um, with the kids over the past four years. And um, since uh, school got you know, put on hold because of COVID-19, we've been doing weekly um, virtual mindfulness programs. And so there are four of us who have been recording those every week and giving them to the, the fifth grade teachers to share with their students online. So that's been great. I'm really glad we can still connect with the kids that way. Um, I've also been doing um, a live session with one of the fifth grade classrooms that I was working in earlier this year. Um, so that's been fun to just um, see them once a week on Zoom and, and offer a little mindfulness practice to them. Uh, also, once a week, I've been doing a, a mindfulness practice for the Jackson Hole Children's Museum. And that's also been um, fantastic, um, not just for their kids, but for families as well. And then uh, you might be familiar with uh, Becoming Jackson Hole. Mm -hmm. It's the uh, Mindful Cities initiative here in Jackson that uh, Sarah Flitner got going. And I'm um, facilitating 
uh, a mindfulness uh, session from that for them, I think um, every other week. And there are lots of us who are um, doing that as well. And, and it's just been great for me um, to be able to, um, to offer those practices for my own practice. And it, it's been great to be in a position where I can support others during this kind of wild time that we're all going through. That's, that's wonderful. Thank you for giving something back to the community and especially in the world of mindfulness. What was the event in high school that introduced you to mindfulness? Hmm. Yeah. So it, it wasn't actually an event. It was my best friend. Okay. He was going through a difficult time in his life and I didn't know the details at the time. Um, and I was also kind of struggling with, with anger issues uh, in high school. And he recognized that there was something going on for me. And he said, you know, it's none of my business, you know, it's your business. But, you know, I, somebody gave me this book and it was really helpful for me to make some sense with how I was feeling. And it gave me some ideas of some really simple practices that I could do to help me stay balanced and, um, and focused. So if you're interested, you know, here's the book. And it was um, a book about mindfulness um, from a, a Buddhist tradition. And uh, I initially rejected it um, because I grew up Jewish and I thought that would be idol worship. So uh, <laughs> he, uh, he called the, the closed-minded card on me and said I should read it out of intellectual interest. And so I did that and the book totally blew me away. I started uh, practicing the techniques in the book and yeah, it's really how it all started for me. What's the name of the book? Uh, the name of the book is The Heart of the Buddha's Teaching by Thich Nhat Hanh. For people who think of mindfulness meditation as hokey pokey <laughs> or, hey, it's, it's not going to work for me. What can you offer to somebody to encourage them to give it a try? And how much time do they need to put into it? to where they don't feel as though that it is a burden to even begin it? Great question. So, yeah, I, I know there are probably a lot of people out there uh, who feel today the same way I felt 20 years ago when I first got introduced to this. And, you know, what I would say is that there is a ton of scientific research out now that has shown how mindfulness has positive effects on our overall well-being, how it can reduce stress, how it can um, increase our ability to pay attention to what's going on right now, and to um, generally bring about a state of happiness and contentment. Uh, so this is research in neuroscience, and it's research in psychology. Unfortunately, we've had some of the leaders of the fields um, come to Jackson over the last several years. Uh, Richie Davidson is one of the premier neuroscience researchers in mindfulness. Uh, we had Daniel Siegel here a couple years ago. He's a psychologist. He's done a huge amount of work uh, in mindfulness. Uh, Daniel Goldman has also had a, a huge influence on um, several people in the community, including me. I'm, I'm doing a year-long uh, program with his uh, emotional intelligence group right now. And they all have done huge amounts of research on mindfulness and um, have collaborated with other researchers around the world, including uh, Amishi Jha, um, who was also here as part of Becoming Jackson Hole. 
And so from a scientific perspective, there is really, really good evidence um, that mindfulness is, is beneficial to, to well-being and other specific areas that I mentioned. Um, in terms of the time, you need to actually see those benefits. Um, some research suggests that it's a, as little as 10 to 20 minutes a day, but it's just like any other skill. The more time you practice, the better you get. So it's akin to learning how to play the piano or um, the violin, riding a horse, you know, any sport, um, or any other thing that you want to master. The, the more time you put into it, um, the better you're going to get. It really is a practice, just like any of those other things are. And so, you know, um, the, the Dalai Lama, who's the um, spiritual leader of, uh, of Tibet, um, has said that um, if you have a hard time finding 10 minutes a day to practice mindfulness and meditation, then you should probably spend 20 minutes a day doing that. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> it's a lot of people. Uh, me as well, sometimes. So yeah, I, I would really encourage people to, yeah, start with an amount that feels manageable. Start with, you know, once a week or twice a week for five minutes or 10 minutes. See how it feels. And, and then try a little bit more and see how that feels. And my guess is uh, the more time and energy people put into developing uh, mindfulness in their lives, the, the more they'll start to see the positive benefits of it. Hey, you've got me, Sam. <laughs> I'm going I'm to start it tonight. All right. I promise. I promise. No need to promise me. Promise yourself. <laughs> That's true. I'm promising myself. Actually, I have it written down. All right. In my quarterly journal. And one of my goals is to meditate. It says I meditate for five minutes each day. So I may so I may ground my emotions and gather my thoughts in an organized fashion. I love it. Nice work. And I have one check mark. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's a good start. But tonight, I'm going to add another check mark after I take some action. All right. And I, and I will say that having a support structure has been so important for me over the years. Having a group of people who I meditate with once a week or meditate with more than once a week and that I check in with has been something that's really, really helped me develop a consistent practice over the years. Even if it's just checking in with one person who's meditating as well, that's been really, really helpful. And um, Josh Kleiman and I do that together virtually um, several times a week. And it's, it's great to just send a quick little note each morning to see that we're you know, meditating. That's why you and he are so calm each time I see you. <laughs> Not always, um, <laughs> but a lot of the time. At least I feel that way with everything that you and he have going on. Um, I feel as though that I'm, I'm like a bomb that goes off in the room and you guys are a calming effect. <laughs> now we, we, uh, we can take on the bomb-like nature sometimes, I think, too. <laughs> We're all human here. None of us are perfect. So going back to the stargazing yeah. for your programs, can those all be found on your website? They can. Yeah. The, the website is www.wyomingstargazing.org. 
And then if you go to forward slash calendar, uh, that'll bring you to all of the public programs we offer. Well, you made that simple. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, my pleasure. What is going on right now? If somebody were to have clear skies tonight, what would they see, expect to see up in the stars tonight? So if it wasn't going to be cloudy tonight, um, if the stars were going to come out, um, the Big Dipper is prominently located um, near the, the top of the sky right now. So due, due north, um, but, um, but high up in the sky is the orientation of the Big Dipper right now. So it's pretty easy to spot. Um, so it's kind of a, a cool place to kind of get your reference point looking north. And um, you'll actually notice just down below it, there's kind of a, kind of a hazy path across the sky. And, and that's the, 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 the arm of the Milky Way that we can see from Earth is um, oriented in the sky right now. Um, as the, uh, the summer approaches, that orientation will get more and more vertical. So by late July, early August, uh, the arm of the Milky Way that we can see will be standing straight up, uh, perpendicular from the horizon looking south. And that is one of my favorite things to see in the summer sky. That arm in the Milky Way is, is pretty cool. That's awesome. I, I love it. And I can just see my kids. They have this huge life-size book that's about astronomy. And they just, Lewis just sits on the floor and reads that book. So cool. I look forward to when he and you have some conversations. Yeah. And you can have him join Ask Dr. Sam and can ask all his burning questions. I'll, I'm going to look it up. So it'll give him something to do, which that, that young brain of his needs something to do for sure. Sam, this has been so helpful for me and informative. I've learned so much. For departing today, what are some quick words of wisdom, little nuggets that you would like to share with folks to make their life better? You know, I'll, I'll share what one of my meditation mentors told me when I, what I asked him what I needed to do next. And he said, breathe in, breathe out, do less. I love it. Breathe in, breathe out, do less. Well said. <laughs> Keep it simple. Sometimes we can find the best advice in the most simple advice. And, Indeed. And the most simple actions. Yeah. Well, yeah. Breathing something we can all do and you don't have to go anywhere to do it. That's right. And if somebody wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to connect with you, Sam? My uh, email address is probably the easiest, and that's samuel at wyomingstargazing.org. Cool. And does Wyoming Stargazing have some social channels? We do. Yeah, we're on um, Facebook uh, and Twitter, and we, um, we just uh, created a, a YouTube page as well. So we've got a lot of movies, um, short films, and um, things like that, that I've been putting up there, creating over the past couple months. Fantastic. Good to know that Wyoming stargazing is tweeting now. Uh, <laughs> the tweeting stars, the stars are treating, <laughs> oh, I like tweeting. That. That's nice. Yeah. And uh, thank you for what you do for the community. Um, and I look forward to beginning my meditation tonight when I get awesome. home. Yeah. Well, it's, it's my pleasure. I feel pretty fortunate to be part of this community. Yeah, we live in a very special community and it's people such as yourself that uh, mold the fiber of it. That, um, and that's what it takes. Lots of people. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks, Sam. Good to see you. 
Yeah, my pleasure. Likewise. Take care. You too. To learn more about Sam and the Wyoming stargazing, please visit the JacksonHoleConnection.com episode number 91. And I know that you have somebody out there who'd be a great guest to be a... I know that you have somebody out there who'd be a great guest on this podcast. So please send them my way by sending an email to connect at the JacksonHoleConnection.com. Many thanks to my, my editor and marketing director, Michael Morey, my wife, Laura, boys, William and Lewis. Love you all. Congratulations, Michael, on your new baby. So happy for you. And thank you all for listening today. And I really look forward to seeing you back here at the next episode of the Jackson Hole Connection.